Okay. Anyway, good morning to everybody. Yeah, my topic this morning that I've been given is Jesus, the giver of the Holy Spirit. Now, in preparing for this, I realized, and I've, you know, every time one does get up and do a message like this, it's quite daunting. You know, one thinks you can just prepare a message and stand up and talk. You can do if you're a speaker. You're one of these public speakers and that. But when you're preparing a message for the Lord and to a congregation, to, a, to the church, it really is a huge responsibility. Because I don't want to give you my message. I want to give you what, God's, what God wants to tell you. So I've actually made a point in this one particularly, because it's on the Holy Spirit and relying on Him, not to go and look at other commentaries from other teachers. And I've said, Lord, I want to hear what you've got to say. So this is what I've actually done this morning, and uh, so I hope, I hope it all comes through well. It's not a lot of time to share a massive, this is a massive message actually, but to do it in 15 minutes is quite difficult. So honestly, the Lord has to help in this, because I think one of you guys who've done the preaching, you, you know you can talk for hours on the Holy Spirit and what he does. Okay, so my message, as I say, is the giver of the Holy Spirit, I was given from John uh, 16, 1 to uh, whatever it is. We'll read that now. But I'm going to actually start two verses back in John 15 because that's actually where Jesus starts talking about giving of the Holy Spirit. So from John 15, verse 26 and 27. George, I don't know if you're putting all of that up there. Can't see behind me. I'm going to read. If you'd like to open your Bibles there, John 15, 26. But I will send you the Advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Going to 16 now. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith for you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier, because I was going to be with you a while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you all about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you what he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. It's an amazing piece of scripture that actually. This passage actually is telling us when the Holy Spirit comes, he's coming to do three things. 
Firstly, he will bring conviction on the world. Secondly, he's come to guide us into all truth. And thirdly, he's going to come to bring glory to Jesus. Now let's have a look at that. Firstly, bringing conviction to the world. This is also um, breaking down into three parts. Convicting the world regarding to its sin, convicting uh, regarding righteousness, and conviction regarding the coming judgment. So regarding sin, this is probably the most important work of the Holy Spirit, in, in, in how I think anyway. I think this is probably the most important work, to bring conviction of sin. Because until people have a revelation, a revelation when the lights go on in your mind, of their sin, and that it actually does lead to death, permanent death. They think they don't really need God. I think people walk, a lot of people walk around saying, I'm okay. I've got everything I need. I don't need Jesus as a crutch. I can get on by myself, thank you. I really don't need God. I've heard people saying that. They get upset when you talk to them about God. This is, this is uh, sorry, there is no one, not even one, that can say he's never sinned. Nobody. Possibly stolen something, even as small as a pencil. Maybe had a, had lied sometimes. A little white lie doesn't matter, does it? It's all sin, folk. Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciling people to God. We are God's ambassadors. Think about that. We're ambassadors to take the gospel into the world. He sends us to take the gospel to people. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to give people revelation so that they receive the message coming from us. And to also understand their sin. To understand their sin. Because until you understand it, you don't really know it. They, can't, they, they can then truly repent and give their hearts to Jesus once they've had this revelation. You cannot try Jesus. You can't come into church and say, okay, I'll give Jesus a try. That doesn't work. It's not going to get you anywhere. We have to give our whole self to him. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. Then the second one, regarding righteousness, he's come in to bring conviction. No one can claim to be righteous. Again, not one. Only God is righteous. And God demonstrates his righteousness through Jesus on the cross, through Jesus' death on the cross. We can only be righteous by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and then receiving his cloak of righteousness. God puts Jesus' cloak of righteousness over us so that we can come into the Father's presence and he sees Jesus. We can be dirty as anything underneath that cloak, but when God looks at you, he says, my son, my daughter, you are righteous. Now this is a free gift to everyone who does believe. Then he comes again to convicting us about the coming judgment. Satan has already been judged and everyone will stand before God on judgment day and only those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life will go into heaven. Do you know what the Lamb's book of life is? The Bible talks about a book that's going to be opened when the judgment comes in the last days. That book is Jesus' book and for every person who's been saved, who's given their heart to Jesus, their name is actually written in that book. And on Judgment Day, that book's going to be opened. 
And if your name is not in that book, you are not going to heaven. Yeah, that's important. <clears throat> the rest will stand condemned together with Satan. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit in the world to give us a wake up. Has your name been put in that book of life? Then secondly, he could do, uh, the Holy Spirit comes into the world to, bring, to, to guide us, to guide us into all truth. Jesus tells the disciples that unless he goes back to the Father, he can't send the Holy Spirit. He said, he will guide you into all truth. It's interesting to note that not one of these guys was interested in the Holy Spirit coming. They were more worried about Jesus actually departing. What are we going to do without Jesus? We need you here. Who's going, to save this? Who's going to save Israel? It's all they were worried about. They wanted somebody they could feel, can talk to, can touch, to listen to verbally. I think we're the same today quite often. We also want to identify with somebody with flesh and blood, somebody we can touch, somebody we can talk to. I've heard people saying that when they get themselves into trouble. So turn to the Lord and pray. No, I want somebody I can actually talk to. Somebody who can hug me, that I can actually feel. I've heard people saying that. People can't seem to hold on to the Holy Spirit today and, and press into him. It's just the same thing. It's very common today. We tend to run to other people for counseling. And there's nothing wrong with going to somebody for counseling as long as you're getting godly counsel. No good going for worldly counsel. They'll only give you psychology. We can actually press into the Holy Spirit. He is what? The counselor. The counselor. He can give you all the counsel you need if you take the time to really press into him and listen to him. But people say, oh, it's too hard. I can't hear God. I need someone, a person to talk to. The Holy Spirit really is there with us, and you can talk to him any time you like and receive guidance from him. We are made in God's image, aren't we? Body, soul, and spirit. What you're seeing here is body. Which part do you think we make the most important? I like that answer, but do we? <laughs> Which part do you clothe every day? Which part do you feed every day? Which part do you put... Adornment on, fashions, health clubs, getting yourself muscles, whatever. We do, we look after the body. The spirit is the one, is the part of us that lives for eternity. That's far the most important thing. We're going back to the Father in the spirit. This body is going to die. One day I'll get a glorified, beautiful body. It won't be this one. This is temporary. We're far more spirit than we are flesh. And we need to walk in the spirit more. Actually, all the time. That's what Paul told us to do, to walk all the time in the spirit. Put the flesh to death daily. Then we'll get to know and experience God as he wants us to know him. Now, I don't get this right myself. I'm teaching you what the Holy Spirit's gave me to give you. I get this wrong very often. 
possibly most days. But it's a good wake-up to myself, to giving you a message like this. It's to fully rely on God, to be guided by Him, and not by ourselves and our possessions. After Jesus was raised from the dead, He appeared to the disciples in a locked room. They were hiding away from the authorities. Jesus had gone. They thought He was dead. And suddenly Jesus appears to them in the room, miraculously. And suddenly they've realized at that time that he truly is God. First time they'd really realized that he was God. Thought of you as a prophet before, a good man. They'd now realized he was God and they believed. Then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's in John 20, 22. Then he told them again, a little while later, don't do anything now, go and wait until the Holy Spirit is sent. He'll come in power. And that was at Pentecost. And we read in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These are two distinct events of Jesus giving or sending the Holy Spirit. First one, when we really come to believe in Jesus and hand our lives over to him, we receive the Spirit. It, the Holy Spirit causes our spirit to become alive to God again. We receive the Spirit like that. And this is his seal that he puts on us. The Holy Spirit puts a seal on us. It's our salvation. Then after salvation, we in faith can ask for the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we should thirst for him, and we really want it. And this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fire baptism that Jesus talked about. We will be immersed in his power then and given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is not a one-time event, and this requires constant infilling. We humans and we leak. I leak badly. I often need a refilling. <laughs> Through this baptism, Jesus guides us into everything. He leads us and guides us. Like Pentecost, when they had been filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit, they stood up and went out into the world full of the Holy Spirit and ministered in Jesus' name. Jesus said that he did only what the Father was telling him to do. And he did this through the Holy Spirit. He totally relied on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide him. People all think he did this in his supernatural power. He did not. Jesus was fully man when he walked on the earth. He'd given up, he'd given up his, his, his heavenly rights to be a man. And he came to show us that we could also rely fully on the Holy Spirit for every single need we have. Everyone. His whole ministry was through the Holy Spirit, actually. And he only did that once he'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Until then, he didn't have a ministry. Derek Prince is one of our old fathers of faith. He died now, but a wonderful old teacher. And he wrote in one of his books, in order for us to make the Lordship of the Holy Spirit an effective reality in our lives, we need to continually yield to the Spirit's control in every area of our lives. Continually yield to his control. And then the last point, the third point, and I'll close. To bring glory to Jesus. Jesus did not want to leave us 
to carry on by ourselves. He knew we couldn't do it. There's no ways we could have done it. He couldn't be everywhere in his human form. Even to his own disciples. At times they were on their own and they were missing him because they couldn't do what they were expected to do. So he sent us his Holy Spirit. The comforter, the counsellor, the helper, the advocate, the encourager. To be with us believers at all times. Isn't that amazing? Right now he's with every single one of you. When you walk out the door he's with you. Amazing. You don't leave him behind. Everything the Holy Spirit does for us is to bring glory to Jesus. Everything. He's here to bring glory to Jesus. To Jesus and nothing else. No other foreign gods or, or uh, teachings, etc. He's here to bring glory to Jesus and Jesus only. The Holy Spirit helps us to have a relationship with Jesus. Very important. And the more we press into Jesus, the more we become like him. We start to look like him, sound like him, walk like him, etc., etc. We're supposed to mirror him, like looking into a mirror. When people see you in the street, they say you're different. What is it you've got? Only through the Holy Spirit can we do that. So every time a person is saved, it brings glory to Jesus. Every time a homeless person is helped, it brings glory to Jesus. Every time a healing takes place, it brings glory to Jesus. Every time a stronghold is broken, brings glory to Jesus. And this list of good works done through the Holy Spirit goes on and on. And that's awesome. That's awesome. It's an amazing and a um, fearful thing, eh? if your name is written in the book of life or not. It's amazing if you're saved. If you're not, man, people living beside us, our neighbors and all, just makes you really, really strive to bring more to the Lord. Anyway, um, so Russ asked me to uh, um, preach from John 17 which is Jesus the Great Intercessor. Uh, I'll, I'll read all of um, John 17. It's only 26 verses. <laughs> um, if you could put it up, please. Uh, New King James Version. Uh, the version that Jesus used. <laughs> all right. Amen. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority of all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. 
for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine is yours, and yours is are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them themselves. I have given them your word, and the word has the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, fa you Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you have sent me, and the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, and they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the earth. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, to, declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Awesome chapter, chapter 17. As a matter of fact, a lot of people have preached uh, on John 17 and they reckon you, you, can, you can preach for months and months on this chapter. You know I mean, it's one of those chapters. Anyway, since I just have 15 minutes, so <laughs> I'll carry on. <laughs> well, well, this chapter is actually a capstone of the, chap of the previous chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16 which in the Christian world is known as uh, Passion Week. So I'll quickly fill you in on what happened before Jesus started praying on Gen 17. So it, it records, uh, it records uh, the Lord's word to his uh, followers, to his disciples. And uh, as the Lord is uh, talking to them, uh, this starts off uh, in um, John uh, 13. Uh, they're celebrating the Passover in the upper room. And, 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 and Jesus is talking to them and teaching them. And, um, and as there, um, this is the night before the, the Lord's crucifixion. So he spent hours and hours with the, with the disciples because the Lord knew that he was going to die and he won't be with them anymore. He was going back to the Father. So, so he spends time with them and, and he, he has the Passover meal with them. 
Judas is dismissed. And as Judas is gone, he institutes the Last Supper. He has the Last Supper with them. They leave the upper room and they're walking through to the city of Jerusalem. And as the Lord is walking with them, what the Lord does is he, he keeps on teaching them and instructing them. He, he tells them that, uh, that he's no longer going to be with them. He's going back to the Father. He tells them, he tells them that, uh, that he was going to die, he was going to rise from the dead, and he was heading to the Father. But, but as he's teaching them, as he's continuing his instructions, one of the things he teaches them, he's full of promises, full of pledges uh, in his teachings, uh, full of threats and warnings. This is going to happen to you when I'm gone. You know, they'll, uh, they'll take you to the synagogues, flog you, all, all full of warnings and stuff like that. And, and, and the Lord, and, and he, he reminds them of the promises of God. He says, he says God is going to be with you. And, um, and he, he's got all these promises um, that, um, that all the resources of heaven will be with them through prayer. He said, through prayer, you, whatever you want, you'll have it. Uh, all the resources of heaven was at their disposal. Uh, and, 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 and Jesus tells them, Jesus tells them, he, as uh, God uh, read, that he will give them the Holy Spirit. John 15, the Paracletos. He said, uh, I'll send you the Holy Spirit who will remind you of all the truth. And, and he, he was like um, teaching them and uh, telling them everything. Uh, and he promises them joy and every virtue. And, and as Jesus stands on the brink of his death, the disciples can't get it. They can't. They, they, they're more worried, like God said. They're more worried about that Jesus won't be with them. They had been with the Lord for three years, three and a half years. How, how long was his ministry? So he, and, and, and this, they, they can't contemplate on, on the promises that Jesus is talking to them. So, so what happens is J Jesus starts praying for them. And that's the, that's the prayer that he prays on John 17. So, so Jesus starts praying. And what, what Jesus prays for is he says, uh, Father, he's praying to the Father that the Father will fulfill all the promises that he has made. That he will bring to completion all the promises, all the, the work of Jesus that he will bring to, uh, to completion. And uh, this prayer here just demonstrates the humility of Jesus. Jesus, after all, is God Almighty. He walked on this earth as man, but he is God Almighty. He's the one who made everything. He is the one who spoke the world into being. Hebrews 1 tells us uh, that uh, he holds the whole universe by the power of his word. So, so this is God. And, and, and in his incarnation, he sets aside his, uh, his Godship and he takes on uh, flesh and he becomes a man. And, and in that submission, you see him praying. It's, it's a prayer uh, for the people. He's got a heart for his, uh, a pastoral heart for, for the people. And he's praying for his disciples. And, and we see the most magnificent example of the need for prayer. We, as a church. Because if the Son of God who controls all things, if the Son of God who is ruler of all things, if the Son of God who is sovereign over all things, who is coming back to reign and to rule, depends upon God to fulfill his word, how much do we need to depend on God. Amen? Yeah. Amen, church? Yeah. Amen. Elders, did you hear everyone that said amen? I want to see you on Tuesday at prayer, right? 
And all of you that didn't say amen, the elders will pay you a visit. <laughs> Just kidding, we don't <laughs> work like that at New Gen. <laughs> anyway, guys, did you know that the Bible talks about the fact that in ministry, the apostles were given to prayer and the ministry of the word? Open with me to Acts chapter 6, verse 4. New King James Version, I'll just read it from there. My, my, it's very minute. Yeah. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. To prayer and the ministry of the word. See, we can minister the word. They were given to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We can minister the word and be very faithful in our proclamation of the word. After all, that's what we've been called to, aren't we? Matthew 28. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission. We can be very faithful in proclaiming the word, but unless the Father activates the word into the lives of the people we're proclaiming it to, it will fall on deaf ears. It will accomplish nothing. It will accomplish nothing. So we are called to a lifetime of teaching and preaching, supported by a lifetime of praying. Amen. 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 That's when the Father will bring to pass that he has revealed. What did Jesus pray for? What did he pray for? Did he pray for his own glory? He said, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. That's what our prayer should be. Glorify me that I may glorify you. Not for my glory, but for your glory, so that your kingdom would advance. That's what the Lord prayed for. He said, you have given me eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and the Christ that you have sent. And, and that, that's exactly what we're called to, to go out to the people like God said, you know what I mean? If your name is not in, written in the book of life. But it has to be supported by prayer, eh? as we just read. Eh? And that's what the, you, you will get your glory when you go to heaven. Jesus said, I pray that they will behold my glory. God has got a, God, God has got a, well, so God has, he said that you will, there, there's gifts in heaven. We've read about it in First Corinthians heaps of times. And uh, the elders have preached on this. Uh, there's gifts there, there's glories there. As a matter of fact, the apostles will be ruling. Revelation 4 tells us that. There'll be thrones in front of the, the throne of God. There'll be thrones. Daniel tells us that in his night vision. He sees thrones, plural, not throne, thrones. So yeah, there'll be... So, but according to order, God is a God of order, you know? God does everything in order. Just slightly... slightly. You, you see, God does everything in order. That's how God works. Even in the rapture, he says, those that have preceded us, they will rise first before us. Remember in Egypt, when they were coming out of Egypt? Just a nugget for you guys. <laughs> Remember they were coming out of Egypt, and they're going into the promised land. It's an awesome typology of the rapture. It, it says that uh, Egypt represents the world, right? As we Christians know. And they were coming out and going into the thing. Joseph, who had died 
previously, before these guys, his bones, they took out his bones and it was at the front of the procession. Why? Because the dead in Christ will rise first. It's a, anyway, I better get back on track. <laughs> The next thing that I'd like to look at in this chapter is unity. Christ prays for the unity of the body. Several centuries ago, ancient China wanted to secure its border. So what they did was, they came up with an ingenious plan. They decided to build a wall, what we know as the Great Wall of China now. So what, what they did was, they, they, they built it so, so thick and uh, strong that nobody could knock it down. They, um, they built it long so nobody could come around it. And they strategically put soldiers all over the, all over the place so that uh, nobody could infiltrate into the land. Uh, they made it wide enough uh, uh, up on the top where chariots could patrol and they would see the enemy if the enemy was coming from far and go and meet, meet the enemy. So, so they had a superior advantage because of the height they, they could see in advance if the enemy was approaching. But do you know that within 100 years of the Great Wall of China being built, they were invaded three times. How? They were invaded three times by the northern invaders. The reason is this, because uh, the, um, the invaders, what they did was, they bribed some of the gatekeepers and they infiltrated into the land, and uh, undetected. That's what they did. <laughs> When we diminish the importance of unity in the body of Christ, we risk being invaded by the enemy. God has called us to a divine fellowship. It's that, that's how the enemy comes in. Fellowship is one of the most powerful tools to witness to a lost and dying gen world. Think about it. Think about it, guys. When you first gave your lives to the Lord, I don't know about you guys, but my experience was I remember the first time I walked into a church. I was blown away by the love and the, and, and, the, and the unity they had. And it was genuine love. The world out there, man, it's all fake. We all know. People know. People aren't foolish, you know. <laughs> and when they see genuine love, they know the difference. Yeah? And, and, and when, when these... Whenever, when I first, I remember when I first went to church the first time, I was blown away at the genuine love they had. And, 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 and we'll have a quick look at what the Bible says um, about <laughs> unity in the body. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Do I have, I'm about to close off. <laughs> Would you please um, open up to Psalm 133, please? Yeah, no really bad with time behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity it is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard the beard of Aaron running down on the garment edge of the of his garments it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore praise God see this is how God sees unity of the body Aaron the Aaronites were a priest that went and served in the holy and the holy of holies to the day 
Day of Atonement, they would go into the Holy of Holies, but normally in the Holies, that's where they were serving. We are a royal priesthood, the Bible tells us in Peter. We are a royal priesthood. And it talks about, see, diff different liquids in the Bible talks of the Holy Spirit. The water speaks of the Holy Spirit. The wine speaks of the joy of the Holy Spirit. When it speaks of oil, it speaks of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When the church is united and in unity together, the blessing of God flows. From the priesthood, Aaron, down his beard, onto the garments. It's like the dew of Hermon. I actually googled the dew of Hermon. I was like, what's this? <laughs> what I read was, it said it's not like the normal dew. It's like the dew that, uh, that comes out uh, in a hot summer day from the Mediterranean. It blows and it blows onto the, on a hot day onto the, onto the mountains on the east side of Palestine or somewhere. And, uh, and it just revives all the, all, all the plants there and stuff like that. And uh, it's just there. Yeah. And it, that's how God sees the unity of the body. Huh? So in conclusion, you see, this is, this is what I've come to understand this. You see the pastoral heart of Jesus? He loves his people. He, he pastors them. He's, he's about to die. Next day he's going to be crucified. And he's thinking about them. You see the pastoral heart of Jesus. But also you see the evangelistic heart of Jesus. Because he came to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was to introduce the Father to the world. And that's the same commission given to us so guys this is the conclusion that I've come to is you firstly you got to genuinely love people you just want to bring them to church because you can alright oh, I brought three guys to the Lord this, week, this year <laughs> you're doing it the wrong, wrong way if you genuinely love the people so that their names would be written in the book of life you will need to support it with prayer prayer is the key guys so every Tuesday guys <laughs> at prayer alright <laughs> alright thanks guys <laughs> wonderful praise the Lord eh? fantastic well done to both uh, speakers just fantastic uh, encouragement and looking at the scriptures on those two chapters such important messages eh? and uh, but I think let's let's let the Lord minister now um, it's good this is not an information session we don't come here for information get our heads filled and walk out of here we come here to meet with God we've come here to come before the actual throne of God and have him minister to us amen uh, well that's why I'm here and uh, you know it's it's really important that we we engage with God on a relational level. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about coming to church, ticking a box. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord. And so we want to give opportunity now just for, uh, for us to come before God's throne, to let Him fill us with His Holy Spirit, to put something of a heart for prayer inside of us. And so let's just stand. Maybe, Trace, if you can just play something on the keyboard. <laughs> 